Well, it seems as though there's a new uncertainty for believers in Australia. Many sense today that Christianity is not accepted or even celebrated the way it once was. Only this week in the newspapers there's been reports of moves to remove the Lord's Prayer from Parliament. Football players have had their freedom of conscience challenged, where the assumption can only be that their decision not to play was because they are homophobic bigots. It seems as though the views of Christianity now are, at least, it's antiquated and it's for the uneducated. But for some, it's more than just antiquated and old. For some, it's harmful and wrong to promote belief in God. Christopher Hitchens, a popular thinker and opponent of Christianity, said when asked about his beliefs, he said, I'm not even an atheist as so much as I am an anti-theist. I not only maintain that all religions are versions of the same untruth, but I hold that the influence of churches and the effect of religious belief is positively harmful. So when we recognise that our culture is no longer for us, but is shifting, it has an effect on us. We can feel uncertain about who we are and what we believe. It can feel like, as we're Christian in this world, like the walls are closing in around us. Our world is growing increasingly secular and therefore hostile. And the traditional Christian moral values that undergirded our society are now at odds with it. And... We think of ourselves as the people who are committed to loving others. We're the people who are committed to building bridges and maintaining a semblance of respectability. We're too nice, really, to have enemies. And yet, as we look at Psalm 5, we realise that David was in a situation where he clearly knew of his enemies, or more precisely, of God's enemies. If you open up to Psalm 5, we see in Psalm 5 what is called an imprecatory psalm. It's a psalm where David calls down judgment upon the enemies of God. And as we've heard it read, it can sound for us a little abrasive. Because we're the nice people. And if we're nice enough, then hopefully people will believe in Jesus. Vengeance doesn't sound very Christian. Well, Psalm 5 gives us an understanding that there are enemies to God and his purposes in our world. And David is going to show us a model of what it's like to respond with realism to a world that's hostile against the gospel and against God. We're going to see four things this morning. Firstly... We're going to see that David seeks God's face. Secondly, we're going to see that David seeks God's justice. Thirdly, we're going to see that he seeks God's direction. And finally, we're going to see that he seeks God's grace. So firstly, we're going to see in verses 1 to 3 that he seeks God's face. If you've got a Bible open there, you'll see in verses 1 to 2, David says these words. Listen to my words, Lord. 
Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for you, for to you I pray. The context, as David writes, kings were often attacked. They lived in fear for their life and the safety of their kingdom. And so David here, as the highest ruler in his kingdom, acknowledges that there, in verses 1 and 2, there's a king above him. And this king that is above him hears his voice. He hears his voice because David knows that this is the God who has loved him, who has made his promise to him. He's in a covenant relationship with this God. And so even as he's groaning in anguish, he lays his heart before God. And he waits in expectation in the morning there in verse 3. Because whatever the day may hold for him, David is certain of one thing as his day begins, that there is a God who hears his prayer, and that God is his God. Here the response that David has is helpful for us too. Often when we're faced with trials and problems and things that distress us, our natural response is to call someone to help, to tell someone about it, to ask for advice. David's inclination here is to come before God firstly, to come before his God, to come before his king. And we too, as we face opposition, we too can come before our God because he is our God and our King as well. So firstly, David seeks God's face. And secondly, we see that God, that David seeks God's justice. You see that in verses 4 and 6 and verses 9 and 10. Have a look there in verse 4. He says, For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcomed. Here David acknowledges that this is not all about him. That even though these enemies create a circumstance for his life that is troubling, even though his life might be under threat, ultimately verse 4 shows us that David is interpreting his life not just by his problems, but by who God is. And that's difficult for us to do. It's difficult for us because we're told in this world that we have rights and that we deserve those rights and we have a strong sense of personal justice. And there's a good thing to that. But what David reminds us here is that ultimately, whatever we face... And what enemies we have as people who believe in the Lord Jesus are ultimately his enemies. We think about the context here. We, remember, we must remember that the role of the king of Israel was to seek God's justice. We're told back in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18, that Moses establishes this, the picture where God's king is, a, is meant to exact God's justice. In fact, Psalm 72 verse 1 says, 
Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. So when we are wronged, the response we want to have is pretty natural. When we see the church challenged, when we see the gospel opposed, we want to hit back. But here we're to recognise that we are not to seek our own justice. And we are not to seek justice for ourselves merely, or our own happiness, or our own personal peace. So often, what masks, I think, as our desire for God's justice is a desire for our own justice. But David here, in one of his better moments, is concerned for not himself primarily, but he's concerned for God and his reputation. The enemies of those who love God are real enemies of God and of God's justice and of his righteousness. And David escalates things here in verse 5. He says, The arrogant cannot stand your presence. You hate all who do wrong. Verse 6, You destroy those who tell lies, the bloodthirsty and the deceitful, you, Lord, detest. Notice the language there in verses 5 and 6. These arrogant, no doubt, got on David's nerves. And no doubt that David hated what they were doing. But ultimately, in verse 5 and 6, he knows that whatever his own personal gripe is with those who are opposed to him, it's ultimately those who act, hate uh, those who do this, do this before God. And God hates what they do. And God, verse 6, will destroy them in their lives. And he does detest them in their bloodthirstiness and their deceitfulness. And so it's important that as we come against opposition, as we, as we see the gospel go forth in our world, as we see the opposition that it faces, and as we're frustrated, as we cry for justice, as we see injustice, it's important that with David here, that we remember that whatever we might be feeling when we see injustice, God ultimately feels that stronger, that he's, he is opposed to evil even more than we are. You see, because ultimately David works out that this is God's problem. That although they are his enemies, ultimately they are God's enemies. David is standing face to face before God as he comes to God in prayer, as he's perhaps thinking about his day in verse 3. He comes before God, standing before him face to face, but he's glancing sideways. And as he glances sideways, he sees those who surround him, the wicked. And the contrast between those who are around him and the face of God who is before him. And I think it's important here for David that he knows that if he did not have God, if God wasn't his God, if God wasn't his king, all this, all this evil that surrounds him 
would consume him. Because here's the reality. Uh, we read in Psalm 1 that we're not to sit with those who mock. Why? Because if you sit long enough with those who mock, you become a mocker yourself. And if you're surrounded by evil, and if all you can see is their evil, what's the danger? What's the risk? The risk is you become like them. And so this is a prayer. This psalm is a prayer, and it's a prayer not only for protection from wicked people, it's a prayer for protection from becoming like them. And that is a danger for us. If our minds are consumed by the opposition to the gospel, of all the injustices that we see in our world, friends, we're in great danger of becoming like those or acting like those who oppose the gospel. In verses 9 and 10, David goes on. He says in verse 10, Declare them guilty, O God. Let their, let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them from their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. There in verse 10, it contains the second prayer in this psalm, after verse 8. We'll come back to verse 8. And this is, this is there in verse 10, David calling down judgment upon God's enemy, enemies. It's a prayer that's asking for judgment upon the wicked. And it's important to note that the trouble here is not personal. David. David actually had a, had a tremendous capacity for forgiveness of others and the personal attack that he endured. But David's concern here is that those who have sinned have rebelled against God. And his request is for God to condemn them in their sin in the way that they act there in verse 10. David, God, David asked God to condemn sin rather than justifying sinful behaviour and to see that the plans of the wicked fail and that they are banished while they are in this state of rebellion against God. And I think that's exactly the kind of prayer that we can pray. When we see the effects of evil in our world, we ought to pray that those who perpetrate those acts, we ought to pray that they are condemned in their sin. We've seen David has sought God's face. We've seen that David has sought God's justice. We see thirdly, here in verse 7 and 8, that he seeks God's direction. David wants to come close to God for direction, for guidance, but he can only do so because of God's love for him. Verse 7, but I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down toward your holy temple. Though those who are evil are excluded from God's presence, they do not seek to, nor can they come into God's temple. 
They are excluded because of their sin. But it does not follow that David is allowed to come into God's presence because of his goodness. We don't jump up and enact God's justice for him. No, verse 8, we ask God to lead us, to direct us. Often when we see injustice in our world, we, our response is often very emotional. And here David is asking God to allow him to step back from his situation, for him to come into his presence and for God in his presence to lead him and to direct him, to make straight his paths before him. Often our response when we see opposition to the gospel, our response is like Peter's. When Jesus is arrested, if Jesus has an enemy, Peter wants to take him out. If God's people have enemies, they must be destroyed. But that's, that's not the way that the New Testament thinks, nor is it the way, indeed, the Old Testament thinks. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17, we're told, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. In, Levit- in Etica- uh, sorry, Exodus chapter 23, verse 4, it says, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. See, in in personal cases here, vengeance is not the right response. It's not the Christian response. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, we read, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. The way we are to act as Christian people is not through vengeance. It's not the instinct of a repayment or of a justice gained with anger and ill temper. No, we are to seek to live peaceably. We are to seek peace. We are not to seek vengeance. And yet, we are to care for God's justice. We are to care about the evil that is done in our world by those who seek to pervert justice, by those who seek to oppose the gospel. But we are not to love what they do, and we are not to ignore how they act. God is the one who will ultimately bring about justice. And we are to ask him for his guidance in holding the tension between seeking justice and not seeking vengeance. The Bible does not urge us to be passive, but it's clear that we are not to seek vengeance for our own personal gain. God is the one who enacts justice. And God will ultimately bring his justice. So we are to seek his guidance. And lastly, we are to seek his grace. You see that there in verses 11 and 12. 
but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. You might have noticed that back in verse 9, when it says their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The Apostle Paul actually quotes that verse in Romans chapter 3. And he says that it's not just the enemies out there who are like that. In Romans chapter 3, Paul points the finger that indeed all humanity is the enemy of God. Both Jew and Gentile, there is no one righteous. And so the prayer against my enemy, rightly understood and stated, could easily be prayed against me and be absolutely true, but for the grace of God. See, David there knows that God is a God who is gracious to him. God is a God who will protect him. God is a God who blesses the righteousness, the, the righteous, verse 12. And so when we seek the righteousness and justice of God, we don't seek after it aimlessly, trying to uphold the law. When we seek the righteousness and justice of God, we seek a better David. We seek a better Solomon, one who didn't take a bribe, one who didn't boast, one who didn't speak lies. When we seek the Lord Jesus, we see that he didn't even seek his own justification or vengeance. Peter says these words, he says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile or return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is what this psalm teaches us. That we're to shape our lives around the justice that God will bring. We're to shape our lives around the justice that God has brought for us in the gospel. The justice that ought to be our judgment, but is our forgiveness. And we're to model ourselves on the Lord Jesus, who entrusted himself to God, the one who ultimately judges justly. So we don't need churches full of human judges. We don't need groups of people who fight with absolute passion to win the war because it's been won by the Lord Jesus. And we need to entrust our souls and ourselves and our lives to this God and his goodness. And we need to look upon our own sin and see its offence and know the forgiveness that we have we deserve this prayer to be prayed against us as we by nature are enemies of God. But yet in the gospel of Lord Jesus, we've been forgiven. That Christ bore our sin for us. 
And this is God's justice. This is his righteousness that the Lord Jesus has paid for our sin. And God now looks at the acts of our rebellion in forgiveness that Jesus was that Jesus took it for us and was cast out for our transgression, that he endured and overcame it for all time. And we must pray. We must pray when we see evil. We must pray that those who oppose God, that their plans and their strategies and their acts will be brought to nothing by God and by his power. We must remember that we as his people can long for his justice, that we can even hope, as the New Testament encourages us too, that those who are presently God's enemies, they too will turn from their wickedness, just like us, that we once were his enemies and now are his friends because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, that they too might turn, and that they too might rest in his grace. We as Christian people don't seek vengeance for those who have wronged us. We seek his face, not others. We seek his justice, not our vindication. We seek his direction, not our best plan. And we seek his grace, not our enemy's ruin. We entrust ourselves to our God and our King. Amen. Please stand as we sing.